Well, if you believe it's cold outside, let me hear your hands. <laughs> some of you need to do some calisthenics. It's a little bit of the chosen frozen here this morning, but glad you made it out. I was thinking when I came in, you know, and it's this cold out, um, how many people would be able to make it in the snow and the snow apocalypse that didn't happen? You know, I mean, how the, the uh, news reporters are. Um, but it's still better than when we had 10 people in the building and I was preaching to a camera. <laughs> you know, so just glad you're here this morning and glad that Jesus is here. You can sign up for Connect Groups. Sign-ups are open. And I would encourage you to do so right away. If you have a particular group you want to get into or you want to try a new group, you can sign up online or someone will help you in the lobby at one of the kiosks there to help you get signed up. It is our on-ramp to community, connect groups. So if you want to be connected, that's the way to do it. We'd love to see you get involved. And if you want to get involved in leadership role or teaching or ministry of some capacity or you're new to Berean, then we also want you to sign up for launch pads so that you can find out what membership's about, what this church is about, and be involved that way. We had a great fall term with our connect groups, and I just want to read you a list of the missions projects that were done as the focus of each of the groups. Here are the things that happened. One group took on GLOW as their project. Another one did gift packages for the Hope Ministry Women's Shelter. Another group, Angel Tree Christmas Gifts. Another gave assistance to a family in medical need. Another one gave assistance to a family in need with gifts, dinner out for a waitress, gift card um, for um, food, boots, soccer balls, socks, coat, dinner out for the family. Another group did GLOW. Uh, another group, Urban Food Bicycle Ministry, Food Prep and Distribution, Food Pantry Donation, Operation Christmas Child 11 boxes, Operation Christmas Child 12 boxes. Helped a lady related to the group who needed some help with cleaning and small repairs. Uh, worked with Link Associates and set up their Christmas tree, urban food, bicycle ministry, food pep, prep and distribution, and a light conference and groceries for Bethel Mission. That's a lot that happened in the fall from our community group, our connect groups. And that would be a great time to applaud. Thank you for those of you that helped with that. So um, get involved and let's be a part of the connect groups. Well, this is a new year. How many knew that? Starting off with a bang, isn't it? We um, talk a lot in culture and in the church, and particularly in our world today, about taking a stand. And that's what I want to challenge you as we launch into 2022, whatever year it is that it's time for all of us to evaluate the stands we ought to take. I think sometimes we stand for things that don't matter and we don't stand for things that do matter. How many understand what I'm saying? We call that politics. We watch what happens. Popular usages of that phrase, take a stand, are in the political realm. Leaders need to take a stand one way or the other. Don't be wishy-washy. Stand up and make your name heard. Religious leaders need to take a stand. And you and I are faced with situations that call all of us to take a stand from time to time. We're faced with those situations. What does taking a stand actually mean? And there are a lot of ways to define it, but for our context, taking a stand means much more than just having an opinion. It speaks to a certain resoluteness and confidence that means you're prepared to defend your position against critique or attack and it carries with it the idea of soldiers preparing to defend a location. So it's more than just expressing an opinion. It's claiming your ground and holding that ground. Think about how much our American culture has been shaped by men and women who took a stand. Martin Luther in, in, in church history took a stand that started the Reformation. Dietrich Bonhoeffer took a stand against Hitler. Someone said Rosa Parks took a stand by sitting down. And George Washington took a stand against kingship. There are all kinds of stories that could be told over and over and over again. One of my favorites is the breaking of the color barrier in American baseball. Um, when Jackie Robinson joined the Dodgers in 1947, traveled with them on their first road trip, he was heckled by fans in Cincinnati. 
During the pregame infield practice at Crosley Field, Pee Wee Reese, the captain of the team, as they're ridiculing um, Robinson, they're making fun, Pee Wee Reese, the captain of the team, went over to Robinson, engaged him in conversation, put his arm around him in a gesture of support that silenced the crowd. Someone changed culture because they're willing to take a stand. How many are hearing what I'm saying this morning? You're going to have to say amen for five other people, all right? Also, welcome to those of you that are online. I hope a bunch of you are there this morning. So glad that you're joining us. The Bible is also filled with stories of men and women who took a stand. David's mighty men were noted because they took a stand. In fact, if you read in 2 Samuel chapter 23, you'd discover that the names of David's mighty men, one, Joheb, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men. That's one man against 800 with a spear, and he killed them all in one encounter. That's a pretty big stand. Next to him was Eleazar. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines that gathered for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated, but he, while they retreated, Eleazar, the Bible says, stood his ground and struck down the Philistines until his hand claved to the sword. That word means it became one with the sword. He would not give up his ground. He was a mighty man because he defended the ground he was called to defend. And then the third one is named Shammah. When the Philistines uh, banded together to place it was a field full of lentils, a bean field. Shammah is standing in the middle of that. The Philistines come to take the bean field away. It's only a bean field, right? No, 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 no. It marks the ground that the Philistines are going to come and take it away. But Shammah stood his ground in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord brought about a great victory. During harvest time, three of the 30 chief men came down to David at the camp and joined together with him. These three men were famous in Israel as David's mighty warriors because they took a stand and defended it. And I believe 2022 is a time the church is going to have to take some stands. The Bible calls us to that in Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take a stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the evil day comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, and goes on to talk about the armor of God. And as I was praying about direction for 2022, I thought, yes, we need to do everything to stand. And, and I felt like God said, what does that even mean? We know what it means to take a stand. But Paul tells us before you take a stand, you need to do everything you know to do to prep to take that stand. You don't just take a stand. You have to prepare to take a stand. Now, one way to express that is with the, with the idiom or the teaching that in moments of stress or turmoil or trouble, you will never rise in this conflict, tensions, whatever that would be, you will never rise to the level of your ability. You'll never rise to the heights of your ability. You will sink to the level of your training. That's particularly true when it comes to handling personal defense. And so if you carry a weapon and you are confronted in a situation where you have to use it, you will not function at the highest peak of your abilities you'll only function at the level for which you've trained. Come on, someone help me this morning. So if we're going to take a stand, that little phrase that I've skipped over and skipped over and skipped over grabbed hold of me. Having done everything to stand, then stand. Well, have you done everything to stand? Have I done everything to stand? Have I trained? Have I prepped? Am I ready to take a stand? Because you will not be able to take a stand until you train to take a stand. Come on. 
So what would that look like? I thought, God, what does that look like? Chapter 6 doesn't really tell us. It tells us how to take a stand. And I felt like he drew me to Matthew chapter 6 and to some basic biblical disciplines that are going to be essential in the issues that we'll face in the year ahead of us. I don't know if you follow sports at all, but you can be a great basketball player and there comes moments in the game where if you want to win the game, how many know you have to make free throws? Those are free points. They're free points. And how many basketball players can run the court, sail through the air, sprout wings, do somersaults, and slam it through the hoop, but are only shooting 70% or 65% from the free throw line? So how do you fix that? You train. You won't rise to the height of your ability, but the level of your training, you practice hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of free throws. So in that one moment that you have the chance to shoot the free throw that may change the trajectory of the game, you're ready to do that because you've done everything to shoot now shoot having done everything to stand now stand have we done everything to stand and the first dynamic that we need to explore is praying first question before you take a stand have you prayed I mean really prayed have you sought God about it Because prayer becomes the foundational piece to everything. Have you prayed? And so I'm going to say something here that may be a little controversial, but I need you to listen to me carefully. I want to make a point, and I don't want it to get lost in the method. I don't want to get lost in the method, but I want you to hear the point. Ready? Everybody buckled in? Prayer doesn't work. Prayer does not work. We view prayer as this impersonal force. And here's how you see it in people's lives. Will, if I pray enough, if I pray long enough, if I pray hard enough, then something will take place. That is so backwards from prayer. Prayer doesn't change things. Prayer is talking to the God of heaven who changes everything. Prayer does not happen separately from God. It is not a force to change your circumstances. It's talking to God in relationship with him so that he can change you and shape you and then change your circumstances. Is that making any sense at all? We see prayers, well, if I just pray enough and if I pray hard enough, and why didn't God answer my prayer? Why didn't prayer do anything? Because it doesn't operate outside of relationship with Jesus Christ. Prayer is to a God who changes everything. Now, I understand what we mean when we say things like pray until something happens. Yes, in relationship to God. Prayer changes things. Yes, when you understand it in the context of you're praying to a God who changes everything. But I've listened to people frustrated. Well, I prayed and nothing happened. Well, that's because prayer doesn't work. God works. Oh, that's just, you're just playing with words. Oh, I'm not just playing with words. This is, a, this is a significant seismic shift in the way that some people pray that we don't put together this impersonal force and release it. Here's an example. I have a book that Ed Cole wrote a number of years ago for couples, for marriages. It's called, he titled it with the three big problem areas in marriage, right? How many of you know what a marriage is? How many know they can have trouble? How many of you are trouble? No, never mind. I want want to ask that. Title of the book, Ed Cole's book was simply this, Communication, Sex, and Money. And he would say the three big problem areas in marriages are in those areas, communication, sex, and money. So then I looked at the title of that book and I thought, there's only one problem because money isn't the problem. What is money? Communication about money is the problem. Come on, unthaw. Help me this morning. Turn up up the heat in your car right now. Get the ice off. 
And physical intimacy isn't the problem. The problem is communication about the expectations, demands, and relationships. So really the problem is, in marriages, the problem is always on communication, all right? So would it help every marriage if I said, all you have to do is start talking? <laughs> How many know that that is not the answer? <laughs> How many of you have had enough talking at your house? You know, it's, that's not going to solve it. What's going to solve it, if you just sit down with your list of things to talk about, you're not going to fix your problems. You're going to fix your problems when talking moves you into relationship. And when you move into that relationship together, you can begin to unpack solutions to your problems and make life better. So I can't say talking makes life better. I can tell you that talking together puts you in a place that you can make life better. Are you getting my drift this morning? So the thrust is prayer is to a God who changes things. So the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 6, if you want to turn there, that prayer is intimate. Number one, prayer is intimate. It's a relationship with God. It is a private matter. Go into your closet and shut the door. Why? God is unseen anyway. He tells us in that section, he's unseen. Why do you have to shut the door? <laughs> because prayer is intimate. It's a relationship with God. If you want to have a conversation with a friend, you're going to have to take it outside of the coffee shop where all the noise is and get in a place where there's not interruptions if you want to have a depth of conversation about an issue. Shut the door. Why? Because it's shutting you in and it's shutting everything else out. It's not you and the whole world. It's just you and Jesus. The battle room or the war room, as it's called in the movie, isn't about just doing warfare. It's about just you and Jesus in a place where you talk together. Sometimes, sometimes I shut the door by going out to hunt. You may not understand that. But there are times where it's not about shooting anything today. I need some time alone with God, and I'll turn off my phone because I have to if I'm going to hunt. <laughs> Sometimes shutting the door for me is getting on a motorcycle and going for a ride, and nothing else matters. It's just God and I. Sometimes it's in my office with the door shut, or it's in my car driving down the road. It's not about a closet. It's about shutting everything out where you know, and you're saying to God, God, this time is for you and me. I need time spent with you because if I'm going to take a stand, I'm going to have to have time in your presence. Prayer has to be first. Intimate relationship with him, with the door shut and nothing else happening. Prayer, if I, if, if I could get one thing across this morning, it'd be this. Prayer isn't about your agenda. It's about intimate conversation with God. And that's a two-way street. Well, I never hear God talk to me. Then, then go to your closet and shut the door and stay there till you learn to hear him. Till you learn to hear his voice. Because he is speaking, I can promise you. He is speaking. The Bible tells us that biblical prayer will be rewarded in Matthew chapter 6. Your father sees in secret and he will reward you openly. When you have his undivided attention and you are listening to him without distractions, there's a dialogue that's happening that's changing you and you'll see the world in a different way and in a different place. I remember early in ministry, just to give you context for what I'm trying to say, and prayer does work in relationship to God who changes things. I had a situation that was explosive. I didn't know what to do. I've shared the dream that I've had before. Um, and in this dream, I'm in a foxhole in a field of battle. And bullets are flying over my head. And I didn't know what to do. And I looked beside me. There were a bunch of screwdrivers. And God said, throw the screwdrivers. So imagine, what a goofy dream is that? I'm, bullets are flying and I'm jumping up and I throw a screwdriver and it's hitting guys in the chest and they're falling dead. And um, tried to go back to sleep. And then I had a dream 
that I was in the foxhole again and they came with a stretcher. Red Cross got me out and God said two things. No weapon formed against you will prosper and I will provide for you a way of escape in this situation. And I said, God, how? What, what, what needs to happen next? And he said, I, he said, if you'll submit to the authority over you and have them pray a covering over you, I can work through that to change your circumstance. Are you hearing what I'm saying right now? I didn't pray, oh God, tear down the strongholds. Oh God, silence the enemy. I said, oh God, what should I do? And I got marching orders from the king. Is anybody hearing me this morning? Talking about intimate relationship. He will reward you openly. That word reward is a unique word. In Luke chapter nine, verse 42, we have the story of a demon-possessed boy in the valley. It's right after the Mount of Transfiguration. And this father is down in the valley, and he's asking the disciples to pray for his son. And his disciples pray for the son, and nothing happens. And Peter, James, and John come down with Jesus from the mountaintop, and they bring the boy to Jesus, the father does. And the Bible says in Luke 9, 42, that Jesus healed the boy and gave him back to the father. The word gave him back is the same word as reward in Matthew 6. So when you think of the word reward, it's not something you did that you earned. It's simply expressing this, that when you come to him and talk to him and interact with him, he's going to give back to you what you have lost or what you need. It's a returning back to you from the hand of God. Think of it in that sense. He rewarded openly. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on. It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. It could also say, however, it rewards with righteousness that producing a harvest is the same word. This rewarding is giving back to you a blessing. This reward is what produces a harvest that when you're in relationship with him in prayer, it will produce a harvest of righteousness. First Peter 3, 9 says, don't repay evil for evil. That word repay is the same word, that God will repay you with blessing because prayer is, first of all, intimate. Secondly, prayer, if it's going to be biblical prayer, is intentional. It's on purpose. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 9, we have this pattern for prayer. And I really think that if we... <laughs> If we would work on this model for prayer rather than the latest book that's written on prayer, we'd get a lot further in our prayer life. Because when the disciples asked about praying, here he says to them, don't pray, don't be like the hypocrites who just repeat themselves. Here's how you pray. This is how you should pray. How does it start? Our Father. That's where it's, it always starts there. It's intentional. I'm coming to the Father. It doesn't start with tear down the strongholds. It doesn't start with confessing blessing and power. It starts with our Father who is in heaven. Holy is your name. <laughs> it always starts with him. How much of our prayer starts with him? It always starts with him. I don't know if you've ever had a situation where you're driving down the highway and something bad happens, a car pulls in front of you, or um, at that moment, uh, you're probably not going to confess deliverance. Most people will just shout out, oh, Jesus, help me. Because that tells us when we need him, where it's going to happen. It's going to come in relationship with him. It's intentional. Our father, that intimacy becomes intentional. He is my father. It's interesting to me that he doesn't say to start with, oh, thou ancient of days that rule the universe. Oh, thou majesty, thou creator of all things. It doesn't start with any of that. It's father, I'd like to have some time to talk to you probably heard the story of the professional businessman that was building a business. He was busy all the time. And one day, working in his office at home, his son came in to talk to him and said, 
Dad, how much do you make an hour? And he said, son, don't worry about what I make an hour. That's all. No, he said, I really want to know. He said, well, right now I make about, um, right now, profit loss, I'm making about $75 an hour. The son said, okay. Several days went by. And the boy was doing odd jobs. He's working really hard. He's saving up his money. And they're wondering, what is he doing? And after a couple weeks went by, he walked into his dad's office. And he said, Dad, here's $75. Can I have an hour of your time? God is waiting for you to just come. You don't have to pay him. He doesn't have to be convinced. He has time for us. Our Father who art in heaven. It starts with that personal relationship. And then, and then, you're not, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm cracking myself up with things I'm thinking that I'm not saying. This is so contrary to how we're taught to pray. When you just read the Bible, isn't it amazing what you find out? God, what's next? God, here's what I want to see happen. Here's what I'm confessing into existence. Here's what I'm believing for. No, 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 no. Our Father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where does prayer start? It starts with an intentional relationship with him that focuses on his will for my circumstances. His will for my world. It's intentional. It's purposeful. God, I want your will about, above everything else. Do we? Do we really? I don't know if we do because we don't know what it is. And sometimes his will is painful. It was the will of the Father that Jesus go to the cross. Not that he called for 10 legions of angels, 12 legions of angels to set him free. Sometimes the will of God is painful because the will of God isn't about your comfort. It's about his kingdom coming to earth. Thy kingdom come. Your will be done. What would happen if that's where we spent the bulk of our prayer time, Father, what do you want today? Father, what are your purposes? Father, what's your will concerning that jerk I have to work with? <laughs> Father, what's your will with my neighbor that never cleans up when they let their dog run through my yard? Come on, how many are hearing what I'm saying? We want God to fix it. When what he wants is for us to come intentionally and get a revelation of his will. Well, I don't know what the will of God is. Then get in the closet. Shut the door. Talk to your father and say, how will your will in my circumstance bring the kingdom into my environment? How many are, are you hearing me at all? Is anybody here? Do I need to switch to Spanish or something? I don't know. <laughs> thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is intentional. It's our father and it's his will. And once you move from our father and his will, then it comes to our needs. This was really working me over this week. Give us this day... Our retirement. <laughs> Give us this day future um, um, uh, wealth. Do you know how much about, of scripture is about living today and giving tomorrow to God? Give us today our daily bread. Now, I know and you know that if you want daily bread Today, God has provisions for the future because you can't just live day by day. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't plan, but it's telling us over and over in scripture that our prayer should be, what do you want today, God? Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Sufficient unto the day is evil thereof. James says, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Don't say I'm going to go to the city now to buy and do, do business. Don't say that. Say, if the Lord wills, we shall do this or that. What's his will for you today? 
My wife and I are having a conversation about the future. What does that look like? And I, I don't worry a lot about today. I worry a lot about tomorrow. Come on, help me this morning. Huh? He doesn't tell us to pray about tomorrow. He tells us to pray about today. That if you can learn to walk with him one day at a time, if you do what you know is right today, his promise is he will take care of tomorrow. Do what you know is right today. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. He tried to teach them that in the wilderness when they could only gather manna one day at a time or it would stink. <laughs> How much? How much of your life would be simpler if you quit thinking about tomorrow? You say, Pastor, you're supposed to plan. Yeah, I'm, I'm good with planning. But the idea is, God, give me today. Give me today. Can you walk with him daily and trust him for tomorrow? Again, don't, don't send me emails are you saying we shouldn't plan for the future, shouldn't plan for retirement? No, I think you should. I'm for all of that. But in the context of God, I'm going to give you everything and trust you for everything today. Because once I learn to trust him today, I can trust him with today and tomorrow. And then I can trust him with today, tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow. And it's all in relationship that flows out of baby steps of trusting him today. Give us this day our daily bread. You see, here's, here's what I believe. If you're just looking at me, I'm going to wander. I get in discussions still today about preppers. How many know what preppers are? I know what preppers are. So I don't care if you prep, and I don't care if you have a Winnebago with a 500-gallon water tank and 500 pounds of red winter wheat and sugar and all that. I don't, I mean, you can do all of that. I mean, do whatever you want to do. But I'm convinced that whatever happens tomorrow, if I learn to trust him today, he's going to take care of my tomorrows. He's going to, now that doesn't mean you shouldn't plan. Because you know what? If I need to prepare for 10 days from now, it starts with today. And he will tell me what I need to do today that will take care of my tomorrows. Is anybody walking with me right now? The idea being, let's just trust him. Let's walk with him. Give us today our daily bread. So it starts with our father and his will. And then he focuses on our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Because intentional prayer is daily. And then he focuses on our future. Lead us not into temptation. Now, what does that really mean? Well, James tells us that that cannot refer to temptation to sin. Some people try to interpret that. Oh, God, don't let me be tempted to do wrong. No, 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 no. Um, God um, cannot be tempted with evil. Neither does he tempt any man to do the wrong thing. It's talking about testing. So the idea being, God, I don't want to go through the fire of trial. And it's not his will that you go through the fire of trial. But it's his will sometimes to put you through the fire of trial so that you come out on the other side differently. So, have you ever heard someone say, don't ask for patience? Don't ask for patience. God will give you a trial. I, I don't believe that. I believe the prayer ought to be this. God, you ready? Help me cultivate the fruit of the spirit called patience help me cultivate patience so that i don't have to go through the fiery trial come on because he wants you to have patience now i'm not saying you should just pray god give me patience i think you should pray god help me cultivate patience in my life and that's what he's telling us to pray don't pray god don't send me through the trial because if you go through the trial it's the trial of your faith that works patience but you can learn in daily experiences how to have patience with him that changes you i shared this story with someone recently and uh, I'll throw it back in here. Some of those moments where I felt like God did help me. How many of you have a pet peeve? You keep it in a cage, you feed it every day. You know, we feed our peeves. 
And I have, I, I have a, you can ask my wife, I've got more than one. I've, I've, got, I've got a herd. <laughs> and, and there are a couple of things. And I know I do this. My wife's pointed out to me. I, I know I tend to, I can slurp coffee. But boy, do I hate it when you do. Can you just be quiet and drink your coffee? <laughs> you serious? Did you turn on a broken vacuum cleaner? What just happened here? And another thing I hate is if I'm sitting in a chair, keep your feet and paws off it. Don't touch my chair. This is my chair. Don't touch my space. Come on, is there anybody that has the same animals I have? You know, you know what I'm talking about? So I hate that. And I'm in a presbytery meeting, and this presbyter sitting next to me is having a cappuccino. And that's worse to slurp. Because then you're slurping foam that comes up your nose and all over your face. And it's just, no, I'm exaggerating. But I'm sitting beside him and he's going, and each one of those, my blood pressure is going up. And then, and then, if you can believe it, he starts tapping his foot on the base of my chair. I have no idea what's going on in this meeting. All I can think of is, tap, tap, tap. Tap, 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 and I'm going to kill somebody in about 30 seconds. I said, and I prayed. I did, I prayed. Our Father, which is art in heaven, make him quit. Stop him, oh God. <laughs> and I heard God say to me, he'll stop when you stop letting it bother you. That is not the answer I wanted. I can make it stop. Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? I can make this stop. It'll be easy. The rest of the meeting will be awkward, but I can make it stop. And so I really worked on it, okay. And so I reframed, what I do is I talk to myself, I reframe the narrative and I thought, why should I resent someone just enjoying their cappuccino? He is really enjoying it. I mean, think of that as an expression of joy. And I'm talking to God, I really did get there. I didn't stay there, but I got there that day. Okay, he's really enjoying that. And if it helps him to tap my chair, why am I being such a cupcake? And I finally relaxed and it didn't bother me at all. And he slid his, I mean, it was that quick. He slid it away and he turned his chair. That's what I'm talking about, cultivating. Cultivating spiritual growth. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You can do it that way or God can keep sending people to me that slurp their coffee. So the point being, don't lead me into temptation. I don't want to go in the fiery trial. I want to walk with you being purged and you teaching me and the old habits falling off and the old ways falling off. Deliver us from the pain and suffering of the trial of our faith. And the only way for that to happen is for you to cultivate spiritual growth. And that comes with prayer. Prayer is, prayer is um, intimate. Prayer is intentional. And then last, real prayer is introspective. You know what it's about? The biggest problem that you have in your spiritual walk, I'm going to tell you what the biggest problem you have in your spiritual walk is forgiving others. And so one thing he tells us to pray about, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And then verse 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive them their sins, your father will not forgive you your sins. It starts with this introspective. How is my, so much is built around forgiveness. My, my going to heaven is based on my sins being forgiven. Why did Jesus come from heaven to earth and give his life and die on the cross and rise from the dead? Because it was about forgiveness. What's forgiveness about? It's about harmonizing and reconciling the people of God and sinners being reconciled to God. It's all about, everything's about forgiveness. And the one thing he says to search when you're praying He's going to talk to you about people you haven't forgiven. Boy, unforgiveness is fun, isn't it? Sure it is. If you want an extra donut, all you got to think about is that person that you've not forgiven, and it'll make you mad, and you deserve a donut today. Anybody hearing me? 
We hide behind our unforgiveness to justify our misbehavior. You know, I, I'm owed this. I, I'm owed this. I had a, a friend of mine, a couple, a friend, a, a married couple whose daughter died. And every year on her birthday, they just had a horrible day. And I'll never forget, he came into my office and he said, this year, I'm not having a horrible day. Because I've, I've chosen to let the reminder of the tragedy excuse my fleshly behavior. Wow, what a revelation that was for him. What a revelation that was for me. If I can, if I can receive that and enter into that, it will help me. The, the idea that forgiveness, God begins to deal with us. And, and forgiveness doesn't mean you're reconciled. Forgiveness doesn't mean you say what they did was right. Forgiveness doesn't mean everything's okay. Here's all that forgiveness means. When you read the teaching of the two men, one that owed the king and one that owed the other man and all of that, it clarifies forgiveness and brings it down to this. Forgiveness is canceling the debt that someone does owe you. Someone has done you wrong and they owe you an apology. They owe you to make that right. They owe you something. And forgiveness isn't, well, that was okay. That wasn't bad. You're okay. Let's be friends again. None of that's forgiveness. That's reconciliation. And you don't have to reconcile with everybody. But you do have to forgive everybody. And forgiveness is simply saying, for that debt that you owe me, I've canceled it. And then you have to live in that. That's all forgiveness is. Canceling a debt. They don't owe you. So he says you need to have forgiveness. And if you're going to get forgiveness, you're going to have to forgive others. <coughs> Grudges, bitternesses need to be let go of. Because then we'll be forgiven. And every one of us needs forgiven. To be forgiven, you have to admit that you've done something wrong. Forgiveness is saying, God, cancel my debt. And the cost of that is if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. You have to die to yourself and let Jesus purge you. So what's happening in prayer? In prayer, it's intimate. I'm spending time with my father. Prayer is intentional. It's about my father and his will and my needs and my future and not being led into temptation and trials. And then it's introspective. Where do you need to be forgiven here it is. You need to also release forgiveness to others. So, Pastor Nathan, if you'd come. This is how it all wraps together. <laughs> I'd love to stay here and play a little bit, but how many of you have someone in your life right now that it's hard for you to keep that debt canceled? My hand's sky high. Their names right now you can say to me and my blood pressure will jump 10 points because they owe me. And I have to, no, I canceled that debt. If I don't want him to bring my debt against me, I can't bring their debt against them. So I'm not telling you it's one and done. Sometimes it's one and done and one and done and one and done again and again and again. And you keep killing that thing till it stays dead. Okay? It's not a one and done, but releasing that because prayer is introspective. When, when we, we are most judgmental of others, oftentimes in the same areas that we need forgiveness, it opens up something about us. It's introspective. So if you're going to take a stand, do everything first to take a stand. And what is that? Daily spending time with God, intimately, intentionally, and introspectively. And that will prepare me to stand in the evil day and the things that come against us. So stand with me if you would. <laughs> I've been in meetings where they'll say things like, Well, if you pray five minutes a day, let's move it to 10. If you pray 10 minutes a day, let's move it to 30. I don't care. I mean, can you imagine? There are mornings Carol and I have, I enjoy coffee and I roast coffee and we have coffee time together. Um, and there are times we have deadlines, you know, we can only be this long. 
But if I said, you know, to my wife, I've mastered five minutes with you. I'd like to try 10. <laughs> That's called my funeral. Hello? Are you, hearing, are you getting this? Prayer is relational. And there's sometimes where it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to go to the office. I don't want to keep that appointment. We're just enjoying time together. Okay, we're just enjoying the time together. Wouldn't it be wonderful if prayer wasn't measured by a clock, but was measured by intimacy? And I don't know how long it's been. Sometimes five minutes is enough. Sometimes an hour isn't enough. It's not about the time, it's about the relationship. And so I'm simply gonna ask that you would join me and say in 2022, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to do all to stand by making sure I spend time with my father every day. It might be, hey, I got a few minutes, God can I have some of your time. Do you know what? He's always ready. He's always ready. He's not too busy holding the universe together. He's not too busy to pause to hear you. That's because he's infinite. And I wonder how many of you would join me this morning and say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to do everything I know to do to stand. And I wanna be able to say when the time comes to stand, yes, I've prayed. I've spent some time. I'm gonna do that on a daily basis. I'm going to spend time with God, some amount of time with God every day. Could we take just a few moments as we close to just worship him together? Let's just love our Father today. You stood before creation. Eternity in your hand. You spoke the earth into motion my soul now to stand you stood before my failure and carried the cross for my shame my sin weighed upon your shoulders, my soul now to stay. What can I say? What can I do? But offer this heart, oh. Surrender all I am is yours. 
Lord Jesus, I'm asking that you would help us. Sometimes we get distracted, we get busy, we lose our sense of priority. Would you, by your spirit, tug on our hearts and create a hunger for us to spend time with the Father? In your name I ask. Amen, amen, amen. If you love Jesus this morning, let me hear your hands. What a great God we serve. I'd encourage you to sign up today for a, for a connect group. Get in a connect group so we can get connected and uh, be a part of that. And also thank you for your financial giving. Uh, it's your giving that helps us keep going. God blesses givers. How many of you believe that? God blesses givers. Amen. Thank you for your faithful giving. And let's spend time with the Father. Amen. God bless.